I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And our topic this morning is brotherly love. Brotherly love. Uh, We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 9 through 12. Uh, We're going to be looking at Paul's definition, if you will, of brotherly love from our passage. Two principles define it. Uh, We're going to be looking at its practice and its potential. Brotherly love is defined as Paul tells the Thessalonians, exhorts them uh, by its practice and its potential. As lawlessness is on the increase and most people's love grows colder, as you know, looking at the progression of the world and world events today, even to borrow from Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew 24, 24, 12, the Olivet Discourse, looking to still a future time of his return, we this morning want to focus especially on the love of the brethren, our subject again this morning. The church continues to be exhorted and called to love. Love the brethren first and foremost and by implication, neighbor and the world as this world goes, grows colder in love. Peter as well echoes this future concern for love, for the church's need for fervent love as the world grows deeper into sin and lesser in love. Peter says, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 8. Love of the brethren, your love, our love for one another is, please listen, forever a must. And because of this, my prayer this morning is that we will be exhorted and encouraged. We need to we need to hear this word from the Lord again as we gather for worship. We as Christ's body, the church, are commanded, as you know, to love one another. We want to understand what that is and what it looks like practically and potentially from our text as we prepare to unearth its essential truth. Love of the brethren then Brotherly love is concerned from our is 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 expressed from our passage. Paul's concern in verses four in, in chapter four verses nine through twelve by two principles, just to help apply the truth about loving our fellow believers to our lives. First, we're going to be looking at its practice, principle number one, and secondly, we're going to be looking at its potential, principle number two. Love the brethren, in other words, because you're commanded to practice brotherly love, and love the brethren because because through its practice, brotherly love holds the potential to make you excel still more to greater gospel witness and to a life that pleases God, lives holy and expectantly, for Christ's second coming. 
Let's read our text. Please follow along as I read our passage this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. The Apostle Paul writes, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in need. Paul will exhort the Thessalonians in this first letter to them towards the close of the letter as he wraps up his final thoughts beginning in chapter 4 to brotherly love, once again to loving the brethren in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 4 as we just read. The apostle will call them the church and by implication us this morning to the importance of it, that is the love of the brethren through its practice in verses 9 through 10, 10a, the first part of verse 10, as we'll see, and because of its potential in verses 10b, the second part of verse 10, through to verse 11. Verse 12 will draw his thoughts together to a conclusion on the subject by revealing the purpose of brotherly love further to the potential it holds. Just a word about our immediate context in 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul gives us no specific reason concerning the logic of his argument as his flow of thought moves throughout the chapter from sexual purity, that is abstaining from sexual immorality at the beginning of chapter 4 in sanctification, to the end times event and theme of the rapture of the church at the very end of the chapter. Both chapters five and both chapters four and five, excuse me, represent some final words of commendation and recommendation that Paul gives to a church that is but a model of faith, love, and hope. As we recall Paul's introductory salutation to them, that he, you will recall, he constantly bears in mind their work of faith and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. This is, a, this is not a church, in other words, that is lax and lazy in its obedience to the word of God. Rather, Paul and his missionary team give thanks constantly to God for them because when they received the word of God which they heard from them they accepted it not as the word of men but for what it really is the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe 1 Thessalonians 2.13 we are looking then at a model church that is faithful in its commitment to follow Christ and God through the word. And yet, the encouragement and the exhortation, exhortation and encouragement is to love and continue to love and abound in love. Don't stop, in other words. Perhaps Paul's 
rationale for addressing brotherly love in our passage is simply the result of his prayer at the end of chapter 3, where he will pray for the Thessalonians that the Lord caused them, end of chapter 3, in our more immediate context, the Lord caused them to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. There is the extent of brotherly love. It is for the world and neighbor as it flows out of the church so that he may establish their hearts without blame in holiness before God and the Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. We have prayer for sanctification, love, and readiness for the Lord's return. All three topics are then developed more so in chapters 4 and 5. Sanctification, love, and readiness for the Lord's return. Chapter 5, going into the day of the Lord, the ultimate end-time theme that is realized in the tribulation as revealed in the book of Revelation. Perhaps more specifically and immediately, Paul is responding to his own discussion on sanctification earlier in chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 6, he warns about not transgressing and defrauding his brother in the matter, speaking of sexual immorality. There is a debate, but the context suggests that the transgressing and defrauding is a part of the fornication or sexual immorality that Paul is prohibiting in the preceding verses. Sexual immorality, in other words, is the complete opposite of brotherly love. We're at the other extreme. It robs the other, both brother and neighbor, of the love due them by extreme selfishness. Men who abuse others in this way reveal themselves only to be lovers of self rather than lovers of the brethren. The world is heading more so to becoming a lover of self and the church's call more so is to be a lover of the brethren. There are moreover social social and financial repercussions uh, to this type of sin and sexual misconduct. It affects everyone, all of society, and not just the immediate parties involved. Hence, our passage in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, is, is Paul's response, we could say or argue, to this egoism by exhorting them to continue in the love of others. With that said, let's look at our first principle, brotherly love, defined by its practice, verses 9 through 10. The first part of verse 10, follow with me along. Verse 9 begins by addressing our theme, brotherly love. Paul writes, now as to the love of the brethren, he signals a new topic or the progressive further development of his flow of thought concerning sanctification begun in chapter 4, but now focused on family love. Family love. The literal term is, as you know, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, which is also understood or was also understood in the ancient world as meaning love among members of the same family unit, blood relatives. This was love for one's siblings or blood-related brothers and sisters. In the New Testament, we see the term adopt a new meaning that is specifically related to believers, to the church, to the local body of Christ. 
that is to relationships within God's family that are predicated on the spirit and on our spiritual bond. And hence, the spiritual love for our brothers and sisters in Christ takes a priority and precedence over biological and natural family bonds. A priority is now given to love between brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a mutual or reciprocal love. Listen to Paul in Romans 12.10. I can read it for you. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. For the Christian, then, Philadelphia implies an instinctive, an instinctive based on our new nature, an instinctive responsibility towards the other. You are responsible towards your brother and sister in Christ to love them. As members of Christ's body, Philadelphia means we are others-oriented. We are others-oriented. We're not pursuing self or promoting our own self-interest, but looking to promote others, others oriented. In fact, if we were to go on in our Romans 12 citation in our passage just cited, just a little further in the text, Paul explains this. He says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Romans 12, verses 12 and 13. This is what presenting our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God and rendering ourselves to spiritual service of worship. Practical theology that Paul invokes, you will recall, at the beginning of Romans 12, 12, 1 specifically, after he has discussed the nature of God's so great salvation for those who have believed. All this means that brotherly love, it is about first and foremost, listen carefully please, loving without hypocrisy. Doing what is good, Romans 12, 9. Brotherly love then is love that fervently, fervently serves brother and sister in Christ even to the point, even to the point as we even heard this morning and as we'll see in our exposition further on of meeting their physical and financial needs. What about this brotherly love? Before Paul goes any further, he says something that is key to the beginning of our passage. Look at verse 9 again, and first principle about its practice. The Thessalonians, he says, have no need for anyone to write to them, beginning of verse 9. This does not literally mean that the Thessalonians do not have to hear about the subject as though it were unimportant. Not at all. Rather, the saying highlights the value and valor, if you will, of the love already practiced among the Thessalonians. We talked about them as a model church. 
They're doing love, in other words. They're performing this spiritual service towards their brothers and sisters in Christ already. It would be like us today saying to someone who's already demonstrated expertise in an area, come on, you've got this. You've got this. You already know how this is done. I don't have to tell you, meaning I've told you over and again, and you're doing it well. We would add to this, as Paul will in our second principle, go out there, keep doing it, do it even better, go get them, in other words. In fact, Paul will say this very thing to them shortly, when at the beginning of chapter 5, in addressing the end times theme of the day of the Lord, he will write, Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. There it is again. There's our key statement back in chapter 4, 9. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 5, verse 2 particularly really marks Paul's intent behind this saying back in our own passage at the beginning of 4.9, you yourselves know full well. The term know, moreover, as used by Paul in his Thessalonian correspondence, the first and second letter to them, especially in 1 Thessalonians, speaks of a knowledge that has been acquired by experience, by practice, in other words. There is an expectation that the body of Christ will be loving the brethren. What about brotherly love then? The Thessalonians know it full well. That's what about it. How do they know? Why do they know? Well, already implicit in that strong statement is the fact that they have been doing brotherly love. You know it, in other words, by doing it. And the more you do it, the better you know it. They are models, in other words, of loving the brethren. Practice, practice, please finish the sentence, makes perfect, makes perfect. The Thessalonians are not perfect, nor will they ever be in their sanctification here in this present day salvation and walk with Christ. But, but... Their own practice makes them know love, know by experience what brotherly love is. Paul's initial statement here at the beginning of verse 9 is thus meant as a praise to them. It is a praise. You as a body are loving the brethren. Praise God for you. It is a praise to them and for them for their devotion to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Please notice here the implication for all of us in the church. God's church with Christ as its head, you at Faith Community Church, and me in Rome, in my own local church. What I say will sound so simple, and yet it is so profound, not because I say it, but because it is biblical. And so often, though, neglected. You must be devoted to your brother in Christ. You must be devoted to your brother in Christ. That is the meaning of Philadelphia practically. 
we certainly know fellowship in our churches. And we're very grateful for fellowship. We're very grateful for it, and we welcome it, of course. But let me ask you this morning, let me ask you, by way of application, do you know devotion? Do you know devotion? Are you devoted to your spiritual family? Are you fervently preferring and pursuing them in love? Brotherly love. Are you loving without hypocrisy? Are you giving preference to one another in honor? Are you diligent and fervent in the spirit, in the spirit that is indwelling you in serving the other? Are you rejoicing with others in hope? Persevering with them in tribulation, devoted to them in prayer, and contributing, sensitive to their needs, practicing hospitality, Borrowing all of this from Romans 12 once more. Notice again, digging into our text, that the Thessalonians would have first learned this from Paul and the missionary team that witnessed to them being used of God to bring them to faith in Christ and then ministered in their midst. They learned it from their leaders, in other words. Chapter 2 is simply a perennial picture of servanthood and shepherding in the body of Christ. Paul reminds them that they ministered to the then young believers as gentle and nursing mothers care for their own children, chapter 2, verse 7. He begins that by saying that they, the missionary team, proved themselves to be gentle among them. Herein lies the truth about the importance of practicing love for the brethren. It proves, please listen carefully, your very affection for those who ser- you serve. It proves your affection, so fond an affection. Paul will say in following in chapter 2, verse 8, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not only it establishes both your hearts as the love that is shared and ministered back and forth truly builds more of a foothold for the gospel and the bond of unity in the gospel and spirit that strongly edifies and unites the church. Paul will say just that. They serve the Thessalonians with boldness in the gospel. This amidst, this amidst Paul and his co-workers, you will recall, This amidst their own trials and afflictions, but as men, brothers approved by God to be entrusted the gospel, speaking, serving, we will add, not as pleasing men, herein loving with hypocrisy, if that were the case, but instead as pleasing God, and hence loving from the heart with sincere devotion to the other in Christ, chapter 2, verses 2 and 4. Their affection then was so fond, so fond, that they imparted not only the gospel to the Thessalonians, but their very own lives. And please listen to the punchline here. Paul says, because you had become very dear to us. It's just an absolute sincerity that overflows such that The desire is to reach them for the gospel and edify them in the gospel and yet amidst all that service and sacrifice, they are dear to them. 
Again, we have an instinctive practice of love that is instinctive, for lack of a better word, because it is expected from the gospel when imparted as pleasing to God. An affection, sincerity for the, for the ones it is imparted to so that it becomes life on life, devotion, worthy of the God who calls to his own kingdom and glory. 2 Thessalonians 9 through 12. All this serves to make those who are recipients of this love for the brethren imitators of the ones practicing and first giving the brotherly love, thereby serving the body in this unique Christian Philadelphia way. There is a chain reaction when this happens amidst the body. Paul will continue to say to the Thessalonians, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did for the Jews. Chapter 2, verse 14. Brotherly love helps the church endure even amidst affliction and trials. It helps you persevere and stay focused. Brotherly love, please hear me out, is at its heart and core and substance gospel love. Gospel love. When you practice this kind of love, you only demonstrate more so that you have understood the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, and the practice of it simply proves to others that you have received and believed in the gospel, the proclamation of the life and death and resurrection of Christ. Not, not, you have believed not as the word of men, but for what this proclamation truly is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. If this is the case, and it is the case for those who believe, for those whom God elects, chooses, and calls, 1 Thessalonians 1.4, there is then an efficacious work of devotion to the other in the body that is approved of God and sounds forth the gospel of God so that the faith of all is strengthened, even and especially amidst afflictions and trials that strike the body. This is not program-driven, but love-driven, founded upon knowledge of the gospel. When these tribulations do hit, and they will, for Paul tells the Thessalonians that we are destined for these tribulations, chapter 2, verse 3, love, brotherly love for the brethren does not, will not grow cold. Rather, it endures. It will endure and is but strengthened and is further proof that this is not, not human love. Not at all. We are incapable of this kind of love. And yet we are privileged to receive it and to practice it. Not human love as though we are naturally capable of this devotion. But God's love for the family given to us through the indwelling spirit as a gift of his grace and mercy to be used in service, devotion to the other, to my brother and sister in the body. You should be 
active. And the more you're active, the more you should be all the more active. This is exactly what Paul will continue to say throughout the rest of our passage and first principle in the rest of verse 9 and at the beginning of verse 10. Notice, the Thessalonians practice love among themselves because they are taught by God. This is a unique expression only used here in the New Testament especially. It essentially means that the Thessalonians' trainer in brotherly love is God himself. Now in verse 8 of our chapter, going just back to the immediate context briefly, Paul has already spoken of God as the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you, to the Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verse 8. The emphasis is then on the spiritual practice of love as a gift from God's Spirit. Hence, the priority of this family love in the body of Christ based on the outpouring of the Spirit further to the cross. This then is new covenant love. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified, John 7, 38 and 39. We are living in the age of the Spirit, whereby the Spirit of God through us that believe abounds, sounds forth in brotherly love. This is the age of brotherly love. You are to give yourself to it in abounding fashion. This touches upon our second principle concerning the potential of this love that we're shortly coming up on in the rest of verse 10 and following through 12. This love, once again, is none other than proof of God's regenerating work in those he has chosen. In 4.1, interestingly enough, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul begins our chapter by saying that he himself has taught, instructed the Thessalonians to walk worthy of God. Here instead, in 4.9, it is God that has instructed the Thessalonians on loving the brethren, not Paul, nor his missionary co-laborers. God's work, in other words, is lifted up. When you are devoted this way again, you demonstrate yourself to be approved by God, to be entrusted the gospel and the very lives of those you serve of those you love. Further proof of this work of God alone in the life of the believer that loves the brethren is the reach of brotherly love. Beginning in verse 10, please notice, Paul describes the unlimited nature of brotherly love. The Thessalonians indeed practice love beyond their own church to the entire region, in this case, Macedonia. We hear the repeated words, adjectives, all, as the translation makes note of at least mine, giving the sense. Paul says, again, please listen, for indeed you practice it toward all the brethren who are in all or the whole of Macedonia. Second half of verse 10. There is simply an inexpressible potential for this kind of love that efficaciously in divine manner abounds beyond the confines of our very relationships in the local body to strengthen the church universal, so to speak. When you love like this, 
You may not realize it, but spiritually, your love abounds to Croatia, to Italy, to Africa, to South America, and globally as your investment in outreach in global missions demonstrates. Although the text does not mention it specifically, the context probably makes the case for a love the Thessalonians displayed to the Macedonians by way of financial help. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 report that the Macedonian churches gave according to the grace of God. They gave to the collection for the saints in Jerusalem through the abundance of joy that overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. This, in spite of them facing a great ordeal of affliction and deep poverty. But Paul testifies to their giving as having gone beyond their ability, giving according to their own accord and even going so far as begging Paul and his co-laborers with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints, giving themselves first to the Lord and then to them, Paul and the saints. 2 Corinthians 8, 3 to 5. Please notice the sense of responsibility and commitment behind this love, commitment to the other. We have talked about it at the beginning of our study or alluded to it as the defining mark or, or a, an underlying mark of Philadelphia. And here, at its most practical, love for the brethren implies financially caring for the brethren, committing to give, especially in times of particular need. But regardless of the specific need, giving as a part of gospel salvation, true salvation and affection that abounds to meet needs generally, physically, and materially. It's just an overflow. That is responsible love. From our first principle, exhorting the Thessalonians to the practice of love, Paul then moves to its potential, our second principle, second half of verse 10 through 12 as we make our way to our conclusion. Paul tells the church that is already modeling this kind of love to excel still more. Do you not simply, do you not simply love this? No pun intended. Rather than pat them on the back, as we would say, and leave them at the level of praise for the practice, he calls them still more to the potential of this love. That is, that this love performs in those who believe. Please be reminded of the fact that it is not their potential, but love's potential in those who believe and love the brethren, divine love. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. This phrase is said with urgency. It seems to be an echo of Paul's prayer at the end of chapter three cited earlier. Paul's desire, again, is that the Lord cause the Thessalonians to increase and abound in love, in love for one another and for all people and that he establish their hearts without blame and holiness at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, three 12 to 13, the potential that lies behind this love and expects, demands the continued practice of this love is eschatological, referring to the end times. It means that love of the brethren is the way to ready ourselves for the coming of Christ. 
Our perfection or maturity, growth in maturity, through our persevering practice, will establish us still more in the faith so that we are at our potential, at our highest potential to meet him so that we shall always be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. This future but imminent goal brings comfort to the brethren. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, says Paul, as he concludes reminding them of the rapture at the end of chapter 4. Paul will remind the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 13, you may recall this, that when the perfect comes, that is, at Christ's second coming and the consummation of all things, of the three virtues of Christian faith and life, that is, faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest of the three that will abide to the end, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. The concept or potential, nonetheless, is still more profound. Paul urges the Thessalonians to excel still more and further explains this by calling them to make it their ambition and to lead a quiet life and attend to their own business and work with their hands, just as they, the missionary team, commanded them. Verse 11. Both expressions, excel still more, and make it your ambition, unfold a holy dissatisfaction. Did you hear that? A holy dissatisfaction. With status quo faith or love, brotherly love specifically. This is not complaint, nor lack of contentment. Rather, this calls for the desire that is built into brotherly love, that is growth Spiritual growth that abounds. You want to grow in this love. You should be growing in this love. In other words, we all should be. It means growing in what you are already commanded to do. Love the brethren. In 2 Thessalonians 1, very interesting, Paul will commend them, this time by saying, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged And the love each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. 2 Thessalonians 1.3. The Thessalonians from one letter to the next have themselves modeled this growth. The Thessalonians persevere in their love for one another even in the midst of growing afflictions. As the context of 2 Thessalonians 1 reveals, and they serve to strengthen all the more God's churches because their testimony is spoken of publicly by Paul and the others as that of Paul speaks of them as a proud witness of those who mature in their practice of love for the brethren. You should be loving and you need to abound in your loving. And when that is done, You need to continue to love and abound still more. Before we go any further, however, and consider all this talk of excelling in ambition, something that sounds like successful Christian living or hints of prosperity thinking, please notice again wherein Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to excel and be ambitious. In other words, where do you have to be doing this? We already read it several times, but verse 11 lists three essential areas of the practice of this love that necessitate growth in so that the potential of brotherly love is reached to its fullest here in this life. Where should you be growing and maximizing your potential? Well, first, leading a quiet life. 
Secondly, attending to your own business. And third, working. Work with your own hands. Much more could be said here, but we will just summarize the three by saying that God commands us to live orderly lives. Again, we hear the responsibility and commitment behind this love towards the brethren and our neighbor beyond that. Orderly lives and mature ever more responsibly in that order so that we, we, we all here are not a burden to, to one another but a, a blessing to one another, a benefit. That's an interesting way of examining your love towards others. You ask yourself, am I a burden rather than a blessing? As we proclaim the gospel, loving the brethren according to that same gospel we just described here, intimately tied to the practice of brotherly love and loving our neighbor according to that same love, resulting in developing a good reputation, testimony for the gospel towards outsiders and anyone in need. Verse 12, that is how our passage concludes. Let me just leave you with a glimpse of 2 Thessalonians 3 to further develop this. It is here that Paul addresses disorder and disorderly conduct among the Thessalonian believers. Interestingly enough, a church that is praised as a model and yet there is unruliness in its midst. Paul writes, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother that leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. What undisciplined life is this? For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11. These, these are the so-called brethren that we shun, that we admonish. Paul says that we take special note of and do not associate with them so that they will be shamed, chapter 3, verse 14 of 2 Thessalonians. These are the ones that we may say we are called to for this specific purpose, to bring them to repentance and love, true love within the body. But otherwise, those who are living responsibly in our midst, they are not to be treated in a shallow way, brothers and sisters. They are to be pursued. We are to be practicing our love toward them. And this practice must only excel still more to reach its God-given potential that is abundant love to Christ's return. Brotherly love, its practice, and its potential. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. and It's it's convicting truth, and we stand before you helpless, understanding the high measurement of this gospel-centered love in Christ. And so we pray, and we thank you that Lord, this truth makes us all the more dependent upon you. And this is what my prayer is for all of us here this morning. Help us.
to be Christ-like and love according to brotherly love. In Jesus' name, amen.